0: Well, if you have a Bible, and I hope you or somebody around you does that you can look on with, let me invite you to open with me to Mark chapter 1. If you need to use table of contents to find Mark chapter 1, feel free to do that. And as you're turning, I want to welcome those of you in Loudoun and Prince William, Montgomery County, those of you online who are joining us. It's good to be together around God's Word. I want to remind us before we dive in that... We are planning to come together from all of our different locations this Friday night here in Tyson's at this room for late-night prayer. We'll plan to start at 7 and then go until 10-ish or 11-ish, somewhere around there. Even if you can't stay the whole time, we invite you to come, be a part, or you can come later. Uh, You're welcome anytime. And I want to invite our church family leading up to that night to fast together on Friday, to the extent it's possible physically for you to do so, I want to call us as a church to fast and pray together for two particular reasons. One, for unity around the gospel in our church. For those of you who are visiting or exploring Christianity, the gospel means the good news about who Jesus is and how much he loves us. So let's fast and pray together for unity around the gospel, the great commandment to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength that leads us into then the second thing, the great commission. And that's the second reason I want us to fast and pray because next Sunday our plan is when we gather together, we're going to have an Acts 13 Sunday, which means we're going to in the context of worshiping and fasting and praying We're going to ask God, with more than 3 billion people in the world who still don't have access to the gospel, who are unreached by the gospel, God, who are you calling from among us to go to them? And I want to ask every single follower of Jesus to pray over this next week in your life, in your family, and just ask, God, are you calling me, are you calling us to go someplace where the gospel has not yet gone? We believe that with three billion unreached people in the world and thousands of people in this church, surely God is calling some of us to take the gospel to them. And he could call any one of us, doesn't matter how young or old you are, what your station is in life. So let's all just ask him, God, are you calling me to go? And let's fast and pray Friday in light of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 and 38. The harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out laborers into his harvest field. We want God to send out more people to take the gospel to those who haven't heard. And it would make no sense to pray for that and not be willing to follow his leadership if he leads us to do that. And don't miss next Sunday because you're afraid he might call you to go. I'm just like seeing the thought bubbles like, ah, oh, well, I think we have something next Sunday. Like, like, this is what it means to follow Jesus. It's not just for super Christians. Every Christian goes wherever Jesus leads us to go without condition. Otherwise, we're not actually following Jesus. We're just playing games on Sunday. And we don't ever need to be afraid To follow the one who has made us, who loves us, and who knows better than we do what is best for our lives. I would encourage you, be afraid of taking that into your own hands. That's what you need to be afraid of. Not where God will lead you, but where you will lead you. So let's fast and pray together. On Friday, come together that night at seven and worship on Sunday as the people unite around the gospel with love for God above all and see how he leads us to carry out the Great Commission. All that leads to today and some questions that I want to ask you and I wanna give you an opportunity to answer. So we've done this before, something similar to this. We'll put this on the screen. If you have a phone or a tablet, I wanna invite you to pull it out. Uh, Just try not to get distracted on them as you do. So don't immediately go to other apps, just do this one thing. Uh, So you can go to this address, menti.com, and put in that code, 81708133. Or you can just click on the QR code on this screen. And when you get there, don't don't start jumping in yet. I want to kind of set the stage a little bit. Uh, As a reminder from what we've done before, this is totally anonymous. You won't put your name or any information about you personally in here that will identify you. You're not signing up for anything. Uh, And I wanna invite everybody to the extent of which you're willing to participate. These questions are for young and old alike. They apply whether you've been in the church for years, decades, or this is your first time ever in church. And by the way, if that's the case, if this is your first time ever in church or watching church online, we are so glad you're here. And we don't believe it's an accident you are here. So whatever location you're at, Online, join us in this. Questions for everyone. And the other caveat I would give is that there's some pretty heavy questions that are, we're going to walk through. And even though this is totally anonymous, if any question feels a little too raw to even enter an answer in, that's totally fine. Obviously, feel free to turn off the phone at any point. Maybe just ponder these questions internally. But all right, here we go. 12 questions total. They're split up into six pairs, which I think will make sense as we go along. So here's the first. Do you ever feel unclean or dirty because of something or some things you have done? There are five choices there all the time, most of the time, sometimes, rarely, or never. So just put in your answer there and then it'll move on to the next question, question number two. Do you ever feel unclean or dirty because of something or some things that someone else has done to you? And again, you have the same five options. I feel unclean or dirty all the time because of something someone else has done to me or most of the time or sometimes or rarely or never. And the third question. Do you ever struggle with guilt guilt? over something or things you've done? Even when you know you've been forgiven. Do you have this, do you ever have this low level level, nagging sense of guilt that you can't seem to shake? Is that an all the time struggle for you? Most of the time, sometimes, rarely or never. And it leads to a similar fourth question. Do you even struggle with guilt over something or some things that someone else has done to you? Do you struggle with guilt over a wrong that someone else has done to you? Question number five. Do you ever struggle with shame over something or some things you have done? And I'll just kind of let you insert your own understanding of guilt, shame in this question. Do you ever feel shame over something you've done? And similarly, do you ever struggle with shame over something that someone else has done to you? How often do you struggle with feelings of shame? Halfway through, number seven. Do you ever feel afraid of what others might think about you if they knew things you have done? How often do you feel afraid in this way? And similarly, number eight. Do you ever feel afraid of what others might think of you if they knew something that someone else has done to you? And number nine, this is the last pair, like these. Do you ever feel alone because of something you've done? So there may be many reasons why any of us might feel alone. To what extent has something you have done contributed to feeling alone? And then similarly, number 10, do you ever feel alone because of something that someone else has done to you? How often does something that has happened to you, make you feel alone? Then these final two questions are a bit more specific. I would say, in a sense, even more raw. So just say again, this is totally anonymous, and obviously you don't have to answer these questions. Feel free to put down the phone if you want. But to the extent you're willing to share, in just a few words, what have you done that has led to feeling unclean, guilty, ashamed, afraid, or alone? And then, in just a few words, what has someone else done to you that has led to feeling unclean, guilty, ashamed, afraid, or alone? And as you write out answers to these, these questions, particularly these last two, I just want to encourage us that this is this is what worship is about. I think we sometimes have the idea. I've even heard it said from stages in a church like setting like this. Hey, just, we're coming in here, put all the things that are going on in your life outside, let's just come aside and worship God. But that's not worship. Worship is bringing all the things in our lives and laying them before God. The first is artificial, that's just authentic. Not to put on a face before God or each other, but to be honest before God and each other about realities in our lives. So if you're still writing, that's totally fine. I want to I wanna take a moment to pray for you and for us in light of the word we're about to hear in the next few minutes that speaks to all of these things we just thought about. So again, if you're still writing, feel free to do that, to keep writing. I wanna pray for you even as you do. Oh God, even as we write all these things in here, and all the different thoughts that are going through all of our minds and emotions and, and all the different places where we're gathered, we lay all of this before you. Things we have done, things others have done to us, And all the emotions and feelings and thoughts that accompany these things. And God, we ask that by your Spirit, through your word, you would speak to each of our minds and our hearts in the next few minutes in a supernatural way and help us to see and feel how the gospel is good news for the guilty and the ashamed and the afraid and the alone and the unclean in Jesus name we pray amen so the title for this message today is the gospel for the dirty guilty ashamed afraid or alone or maybe better put the gospel for all of us one of the things I love about the Bible is that it doesn't shy away from reality in our lives In this fallen world, one of the things I love about Jesus is how he meets us like no one else can at the raw realities of our lives in a fallen world. I want to show this to you starting in Mark chapter 1, verse 29. So picture what we're about to read as 24 hours in the life of Jesus. So we're going to walk through a day. We're going to start in the middle of one day and then go about 24 hours and see Make some observations along the way. What makes Jesus unlike no one else? So we'll start right after he's finished teaching in the synagogue with spiritual authority like no one else. We looked at this last week. What a great line that Mike's sermon ended with last week. Abundant life is only found under the authority of Jesus Christ. Like, hold on to that. Abundant life is only found under the authority of Jesus. So after we see Jesus teaching about his authority, with authority, in Mark chapter 1, verse 21 through 28, Mark 1, says, And immediately Jesus left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her. And she began to serve them. So let's just make some notes, some observations as we go through a day with Jesus. First note, observation we'll make, Jesus has authority over disease. Just a simple observation. Jesus has authority over disease and sickness. Simon's wife's mom has a fever. Jesus goes to her with no Tylenol, Advil, or Aleve in his hand, takes her hand, lifts her up, and by the time she's standing, her fever is gone, just like that. Now, that may seem minor to some, but, well, one, you can't do that. And two, the next verse is made clearer. It wasn't just a fever that was under Jesus' authority. Verse 32 says, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases. So let's stop there. Many who were sick with various diseases diseases, all who were sick, Jesus had authority to say to sickness and disease, leave, and it did. I would submit this is really good news for all of us in a world of sickness and disease. I was studying this passage this week. I got a call that my mom in Metro Atlanta had been taken in an ambulance to the emergency room for some sudden heart issues it was a really tender call to get. It was actually on my dad's birthday this week when I received that call. My dad, who years ago died unexpectedly of a heart attack. And a call I'll never forget. So my mom, get this call, was admitted to the hospital. I just started asking people to pray. And long story short, after procedures and tests the last couple of days, by the hand of the one who has authority over heart issues, my mom went home last night. And She's uh, yeah, watching from home this morning. So I love you so much. Well, this, is, this is why we pray for each other in a world of sickness and disease because we know we're speaking to the one who has authority over sickness and disease. And we're gonna pray like this over each other as a church family Friday night. Let me, let me mention now, if you cannot make it to our prayer gathering Friday night because of your sickness, or disease we want to pray for you so just click on this QR code or go to mcleanbible.org/prayer and share with us how we can pray specifically for you to the one who has authority over all disease and sickness and not just disease it's already been referenced once you keep reading in verse 34 he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So here's a simple second observation. Jesus has authority over demons. We saw this last week. He speaks and demons flee. Jesus even has authority over when they speak. Now we walked through this last week, and we'll see this again in Mark. So we're not going to spend a ton of time here today. But after a full day of teaching, healing diseases, and casting out demons... Jesus goes to sleep. And then verse 35 says, Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Two more quick observations about Jesus that I'll make your that are instructive for us. One, Jesus prioritizes time alone with God the Father over every other thing in his day. He rises early in the morning while it's still dark, finds a desolate place, and spends time alone with God the Father. Can I just ask you, is this your priority over every other thing in your day? Maybe another way to ask that question, for those of you who are followers of Jesus, is Jesus' priority your priority? Or do you have different priorities than the one you are following? And why is that? Now, I know we are busy people. Who of us in this gathering is not busy with all sorts of things to do in our day? I would submit Jesus was pretty busy too. Let's face it, none of us have lines of people waiting outside our door every morning for us to heal all their diseases and cast out all their demons. Yet Jesus knew that the most important time in his day was time alone with the Father. And if that's true for him, how much more so for us? I submit to you, amidst all the important, valuable, necessary things you do during the day, This is more important, more valuable, and more necessary than them all. Time alone with God. I wanna encourage you, kids, students, teenagers, make this a pattern in your life now to get up early, even if it's just five minutes earlier than normal at the start, just to be alone with God, to read his word, to pray to him, and then to grow in maturity over time and what that looks like, and for adults, Across this gathering, let's show them what it looks like to prioritize time alone with God. Let's show them that time with God is better than the busyness of our schedules. And why would we not? What could be more important in our day than meeting with the one who gives us breath, who causes our heart to beat, who loves us more than anyone else, who reigns over the entire universe with all authority and has invited you to meet with him? What, what more important thing do you have than this? What more valuable thing do you have to do when you're scheduled in this? Jesus prioritizes time alone with God over every other thing in his day. And then, fourth observation, Jesus prioritizes proclamation of the gospel among more people in more places over meeting physical needs right around him. There's a lot there. We'll actually talk about this more next week, Lord willing. But notice what Jesus says when his disciples were like, Why are you out here alone in this desolate place? Like, there's people to be healed. Got work to do, Jesus says. Let's go on to the next towns. Why? So that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. This is why I've come, Jesus says, to proclaim the gospel. We saw this in Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. To more and more people, And more and more places, eventually for all people in all places to hear the gospel. Not just for some people in one place to be healed of diseases and delivered from demons. That's not my mission, Jesus says. I want you to hold on to this observation for next week because, well, that's why we're having next week as we are. Because the mission of Jesus is to proclaim the gospel to more and more people in more and more places. And if Jesus' priority is our priority, then we will work together as a church to see the gospel proclaimed among three billion people who've never heard the good news of Jesus. But I also want us to see today how this observation, how Jesus' mission, his reason for coming, speaks directly to the questions I asked you earlier in that survey. Watch what happens with me as Jesus leaves his time alone with the Father to go to a new place verse 40 And a leper came to him imploring him and kneeling said to him If you will you can make me clean Moved with pity Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him I will be clean And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. Uh, There's a lot to observe here with significant implications for the questions we answered about our lives. So let's follow this. A leper came to Jesus. That's a general term in the Bible used to describe a variety of skin diseases, the most extreme form of which attacks a person's nervous system to the point where infections set in and tissues degenerate and limbs fall off as the body literally withers. But leprosy was more than just a disease that needed to be healed. Do you notice how the word healed is not used at all in this story? The leper doesn't ask to be healed. The Bible doesn't say that he was healed. Instead, the leper says, if you will, you can make me what? Clean. And that's the word that's repeated in every verse. verse. Clean. Clean. Why? because to be a leper was to be unclean, to be dirty. Leprosy was more than just a physical condition. Leprosy was a dreadful contagion. Leviticus 13 and 14 in the Old Testament of the Bible describe how if you had leprosy, you lived in shame and you lived alone. You'd have to stay a wide distance away from anyone else. If For some reason, someone got near you, you were required to yell out, unclean, unclean! So they would be startled and would go the other way. You were seen as repugnant and repulsive, a danger to others, to the point where they were afraid to be near you, and before long, you were afraid to be near them. Obviously, we've experienced isolation in new ways, Over the last 18 months, many of us quarantined for various weeks, and the effect of all this on people's mental, emotional, physical health are still yet to be fully seen. We can only imagine then the physical, social, mental, emotional, even spiritual struggles of a leper, which is why leprosy in the book of Isaiah in the Bible became a symbol of sin itself. Lepers were looked upon as, quote, the living dead. If you had leprosy, you could not touch or even be close to your family or your friends or anyone ever. You couldn't work with others, have fun with others, worship at the temple with others. You were alone, afraid, ashamed, dirty, unclean, and there was absolutely nothing you could do to change any of that. So this leper came to Jesus, and that in and of itself is shocking, right? If you have leprosy, you don't come up to anybody. You stay away from everybody but not this man, not on this day. Just imagine the scene as this man walks through the crowds, likely yelling, unclean, unclean. And people around him start parting like the Red Sea, running away from him, pulling their kids away, shouting for everybody else to do the same. And he comes up to Jesus, falls on his knees, And implores him, saying, if you will. Not if you are able. This leprous man knows Jesus is able. The question is, is he willing to make him clean? And the crowd pauses in stunned silence, waiting to see what Jesus, the teacher, will do. And the Bible says Jesus was moved with pity, Now, it's interesting because if you have the New International Version, another English translation of the Bible, this verse says Jesus was indignant. Now, they sound like two different emotions, right? Moved with pity or indignant, moved with anger. So which is it, pity or anger? This is one of those very rare places in the Bible that do not in any way affect major teachings of the Bible, but do reflect minor discrepancies among the oldest biblical manuscripts we have, where one manuscript says Jesus was moved with pity, another says he was moved with anger. But regardless of which it is here, we know both emotions are realities in Jesus, and they actually go together, don't they? Think about it. When you love someone and you see them hurting, suffering, your heart aches for them, and at the exact same time, you hate whatever it is in this fallen world that has led to this hurt and pain. And Jesus personifies this kind of love. But here's the difference between Jesus and us. When we're in situations like that, it's because we so often feel helpless We see this person we love hurting, a child, a parent, a friend. We want to change it. We want to take it away, but we can't. A spouse. But the difference is Jesus is able and willing to do something about that. So look at what Jesus does. Instead of turning from this man like everybody else, Jesus turns to him. And he doesn't just speak like we see in other miracle stories. Jesus could have said a word and this man would instantly become clean. But Jesus doesn't speak. Instead, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand. Jewish law said, do not touch lepers. To touch a leper would be to become unclean yourself. To touch a leper would be to join a leper in his uncleanness and shame. But Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Imagine the crowds gasping in horror at the teacher who has now defiled himself. Jesus says, I will be clean and immediately the leprosy left him what did that look like like just picture it like shriveled stained skin suddenly made clean shame just instantly removed just like that the man looks around And realizes for the first time in a long, long, long time that he doesn't have to yell at anybody to get away from him. For the first time in a long, long time, he's not alone. He's not afraid. He sees that friend. He sees that spouse. He sees that child, and he's able to give them a hug. Jesus just changed everything. Everything. Who else can do this? Who else can remove dirt and shame and fear and loneliness in a moment? No one else can do this. There is no one like Jesus. And he tells this man to go to the priest of the temple according to God's law in the old covenant in order to be officially declared what he actually is, clean. And Jesus tells him not to speak about this to all kinds of people. We'll see this multiple times in the book of Mark as we're reminded of what we've already talked about. As awesome as this miracle was in this man's life, it wasn't the primary purpose for Jesus' coming. The primary purpose for Jesus' coming was the proclamation of good news for more people in more places. And follow this. Not just more people in more places in first century Palestine. But stretching all the way through time to 21st century men and women and students and children in Metro Washington, D.C. This story now starts to come to our laps and we begin to realize this is why Jesus came. You are why Jesus came. Let's pull up those results from that survey that we looked at earlier do you ever feel unclean or dirty because of something you've done the overwhelming majority of us including some of us all the time feel this way just think like where you're sitting one out of the 20 people around you feels this all the time What about feeling unclean or dirty because of something someone else has done to us? For close to 40% of us, this is a feeling we're familiar with sometimes or more often than not. Do you ever struggle with guilt over something you've done? That's 85% of us who say this is common enough to be described as a struggle in my life sometimes, or are we even struggling with guilt over something that someone else has done to us, even though we didn't do the wrong? What about shame over something you've done? Again, over three-quarters of us, familiar with that on a somewhat regular basis in our lives. And similarly, shame over things that have been done to us. What about fear of what others might think of us if we knew things we knew they knew things we have done? Almost three-quarters of us saying, that's true in my life. There's this underlying, I don't want people to actually know me. or fear of what others might think if they knew something that someone else has done to me. Do you ever feel alone because of something you've done? Around half of us, a little over half of us do. Sometimes or more often. We're alone because something that someone else has done to us that we just feel like nobody else understands or maybe nobody else is with us in the middle of that. These questions open our eyes to some realities, but I want to just read off, you won't be able to see them, they're small, these last two questions that dive a little deeper. In just a few words, what have you done that has led to feeling unclean, guilty, ashamed, afraid, or alone? And the words that you have said include Lied, lust, anger, gossip, divorce, sexual sin, cheating, abortion, adultery, impure thoughts. And in just a few words, what have you done that has led, someone, what has someone else done to you that has led to feeling unclean? Guilty, ashamed, afraid, or alone? Abuse, anger, rejection, assault, abandonment, betrayal, gossip. Can I just put this out there? We are a hurting, broken people in a fallen world. Can we just stop putting on a face like everything is perfect and right and good in our lives and our families and our past and our present? We all feel these things in some measure in this world. And I would submit if you don't feel any of these things, you may be in the most dangerous position of all because you have done things. We have all done things that we are guilty of before God and others. Denial may be your drug of choice for covering up some of these things, but God makes clear in His word that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. fallen. We are fallen people. Fallen families in a fallen world. And the first step toward healing and wholeness and health and hope in our lives is realizing this. Unclean, unclean is not just a cry on a leper's lips. It's a reality in every single one of our lives. So, where is the one who is able and willing to make us clean? And the good news of the Bible is, there is one who is able and willing to make us clean. Amen. This is why he came. Amen. Jesus, God in the flesh, has come to this fallen world. The one with all authority over all disease and all authority over all demons has come for this reason, to proclaim good news to all people in all nations, no matter who you are or what you have done, to all who are unclean because of things you have done or things that have been done to you. Jesus says, I am willing, I am able, I have come to make you clean. To all who are guilty, Jesus says, I have come to declare you innocent. To all who are ashamed, Jesus says, says, I have come to bestow upon you honor. To the afraid and alone... Jesus says, I have come to cast out your fears of this world, and I will never, ever, ever forsake you in this world. Jesus has come saying, I love you. Just feel this, where you are sitting. I love you. And I hate the sin and evil that brings about the suffering with which you are familiar. But that's the problem, right? Because all of us are sinners. So how can Jesus, who's perfectly just and true, declare any of us innocent when all of us are guilty of sin? How can Jesus give any of us honor when all of us deserve judgment for sin? How can any of us have eternal life with God when all of us in our sin warrant eternal separation from God? And the answer to that question is what makes Jesus unique unlike any other? And it's why the story of Jesus and a leper is actually pointing us to a much greater story about Jesus and your life right where you are sitting right now. For this leper who was humble and bold enough to come to Jesus, Jesus stretched out his hand and took the leper's uncleanness upon himself in order to make that man clean in a much, much greater way. And the ultimate reason for which Jesus came, he stretched out his hands on a cross and took all of sin and uncleanness of those who trust in him upon himself and paid the whole price for it. He died so that all who are humble and bold enough to believe in, trust in him and his love will be made completely clean. This is the gospel. Let me illustrate this for you. Like we've talked about things we have done and things others have done to us. Things we have done that leave us feeling unclean. Guilty, ashamed, afraid, alone. It may look different in each of our lives, but the stain of sin marks all of our lives. And then there's things that have been done to us or just things we've experienced when it comes to suffering in this world. Disease, sickness struggle in this way or that way. And we live in a world that offers all kinds of avenues to try to get rid of this guilt and shame and fear. Like, this relationship surely will do it. Just work hard. Give yourself to that person. But it's still there. Maybe this person or maybe that person. It's still there. Or maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's work. Like, just work really, really hard. Like, get, get really busy, be really successful. Or maybe it's, maybe it's drinking. Maybe it's this habit. Maybe it's this outlet. Maybe it's even, okay, but just doing up religious things. I've got, maybe religion is it. We just try as hard as we can, but it's still there. Why? Because we're looking to a fallen world to do what a fallen world cannot do. There's no one, no matter what grade that relationship is, that can take your uncleanness and make you clean in this world. No amount of activity, success, whatever it might be, even religious success. You can't take it away. This is where this world leaves us. But the good news of the Bible is that the pure and holy one God himself in the flesh has come to us lived a perfect life among us and willingly chose to suffer on a cross for us to shed his blood as a price for our sin so that by trust in him no matter what you have done no matter how afraid you might be for others to know about that the god who knows about that has taken all of it upon himself Defiled himself, became sin for us in order that we might become the righteousness of God, free from sin. And now you think, well, I still I still got suffering in this world. I still struggle with sickness and disease. And I mean I, I'm so thankful your mom's doing good, but I prayed for healing for my disease, and it's still there. Or or I've experienced this. This person did this to me. It just, I can't get it out of my mind or my heart. Whatever it might be. The realities of suffering in this world. But this is the great news. Even beyond what Jesus has done to pay the price for our sin. Because when Jesus went to the cross on our behalf. He not only paid the price for our sin. Jesus severed the root of suffering itself. He suffered on our behalf. He died on a cross. He experienced death in our place. And in so doing, he was saying to all who believe and to all who trust in him, Whatever you experience in this world, whatever suffering you experience, sickness, disease, or anything else that anybody else has done to you, those things will not define you and those things will not have the last word. Because he has died on a cross, he has risen from the grave, he is coming back one day, and on that day, he is going to take all your sorrow and all your suffering, and he's going to wipe every tear from your eye, and you will be made whole again forever. Who can do this for you? No one else but Jesus. No one else but Jesus can heal your deepest hurts, can take that which is unclean and make you clean, can take that which is guilty and make you innocent, can take that which is ashamed and bring you honor, to remove fear and to reconcile you into a relationship with your Creator where you will not be alone for all of eternity. If only you will be bold and humble enough to come to him as the one who can do these things in your life. So toward that end, I want to invite you to bow your heads with me. I want to invite us to go right before him right now with all the different things in our lives. All the different things in your life. I want to ask you first and foremost, right, where you're sitting, have you placed your faith in Jesus? Have you placed your faith in the one who has died on the cross for sins and risen from the grave? Are you a follower of Jesus? And if the answer to that question is not a resounding yes in your heart, today is the day. Right now, God's speaking to your heart. I invite you just to say to him, make me clean, God. To confess before God right now in your heart, just to say I have sinned against you. I am guilty before you of sin. But I believe today that Jesus loves me, has died on a cross for my sin, has risen from the grave. Today I trust in him. And for all who say, yes, I trust in Jesus, God says, you are not guilty anymore. You say, what do I have to do? By faith, by grace through faith in Jesus. Yes. Trust in him and be declared righteous, a child of God brought into his family forever. And, and then for all who are a part of his family, for all who are followers of Jesus, I'm not presuming in any way that there's not a battle in your mind and your heart, sometimes on a daily basis, sometimes throughout the day to, to believe these things. It's why we come together as the church, because none of us, none of us can do this alone. We're intended to help one another, walk with one another through these things in life and apply gospel balm to each other's hearts and minds, day after day as we share life with each other, week after week as we come together. So God, I pray for all kinds of people all across this room, other locations online, who are listening right now, who are walking through all kinds of things. God, I pray they would know that they are not alone they would know that you are with them they would know you have promised sir in our bible readings of the church today we can do all things through christ who strengthens us gotta pray for the strength of christ over those who feel weak Help us not to be anxious about anything, Philippians 4, but in everything by prayer and petition, present our request to you that the peace that comes from you that transcends all understanding might guard our hearts and minds. God, I pray that over your church today. I pray that over every single person listening right now. May your peace guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. May they know that they are secure in Christ, that they are not defined by what they have done or what has been done to them. God, would you bring continual healing to our hurts? Would you grant continual strength in our weakness and struggle as we look forward together to the day when we will see your face, Jesus, and you will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and sin will be no more, and sorrow and suffering will be no more, and death will be no more? Come quickly, Lord Jesus, we pray, and help us help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, the one and only, until that day. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. And all God's people said, amen.